Welcome to the Heavenly Banquet where the hungry are filled with good things. This week's lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. After this, the Lord appointed seventy others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Let's look at how much Jesus' instructions to the 70 differ from the shape of modern ministry, or modern mainline Protestant professional ministry anyhow. Jesus sends the 70 out with nothing but a staff, the clothes on their backs, and the sandals on their feet. They are to go out into the world to teach, to share the message of repentance. If it's received by open ears, if the disciples are received by open homes, then great. If it's not, no worries, move on. Hope for more fertile ground ahead. Shake the dust from your feet and keep going. That last bit is interesting, the shaking the dust from your feet part. It's a way of making a display of the fact that you weren't shown the proper hospitality. Any host receiving a guest would wash the guest's feet. It's a basic comfort. Having dust to shake from your feet, maybe stomping around outside of the home making a big display of it, lets everyone else know that you encountered someone unwilling to receive you. And remember, failing to extend hospitality is a particularly grave sin as far as the Bible is concerned. Many of our mothers would probably say the same, but failing to extend hospitality is the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the root sin of Gebeah. It's the sin of the rich man who finds himself in Hades haunted by the vision of the beggar Lazarus cradled in the arms of Abraham. The Bible's heroes sometimes, well, they sometimes murder a relative or lie to a friend or commit adultery, but their homes are always open and their tables are set. But I digress. 
What we have here is a radically different image of what ministry is, of what the work of the church is, from what you and I, from what American Christianity has experienced for the last 150 years or more. Here, we have disciples going from town to town, looking for a home that will receive them, and staying and teaching there for as long as folks will have them. There's no pastor's office or contract or salary or pension, just teachers among the people, subsiding on the people's hospitality and knowing full well that the arrangements are temporary, that after a few days, a week, maybe a couple of months, they'll have to leave. Perhaps it will just be time to go. The stories of Jesus will have been shared and the work will be passed on to others. It's likely, though, or at least very probable, that the welcome will be worn out, that the message will grow hard, that it will rub someone the wrong way, probably someone powerful, someone rich, and that the demand will be too much, and the message, along with the messenger, will be dismissed, sent away. But it's okay. Take your staff and move on. You see, part of the scheme here of traveling light, of being mobile, of not making roots or tying yourself down, is a way to protect the integrity of the gospel, of the message. These disciples living like this, teaching like this, well, they have nothing to gain, nothing to lose in their work. By following these instructions, there's no way to profit from the gospel, so there's no incentive to manipulate it. Those 70 sent by Jesus They have nothing to risk, partly because, well, they have nothing, but also because their charge is to speak the gospel and to let it lie. If it's rejected, if they are rejected, fine, move on. Nothing lost, nothing gained. Now, this lesson isn't just for pastors, for preachers, but for all of us. The 70 were Jesus' disciples, his students, just as we are all students of the way, followers of the way. So the lesson here is for all of us. There's a reminder here that the gospel is sometimes going to fall on deaf ears or even be met with hostility. Expect that. Expect that, but also know that our responsibility really ends there. Our responsibility ends there. We aren't called to argue, to convince, to manipulate, but to speak it plainly to speak it boldly, and to let the Spirit work as she sees fit. Y'all know how I am always telling you to be weary whenever anyone tells you that the Bible is clear about something. But I have the receipts, and our calling is clear. Welcome the stranger into your home. Care for orphans and widows. Feed the hungry. Tend to the sick. Comfort the poor. Visit the imprisoned. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those aren't suggestions or allegories or parables that bear interpretation. Those are direct instructions, direct instructions to lavish this world with the abundant love that we have been offered in Christ. To share that love with no strings attached, no qualifiers, to support the dignity of every single human being because every single one of us is a unique creation formed in the image of the God we claim to worship. Who would argue with that? Well, people do. You know people do. 
Hateful people will tell you that the issues are complicated, that issues like immigration or elder care or mass incarceration or income inequality or hunger or homelessness or poverty are complicated, too complicated to be addressed, certainly too complicated for ordinary people to address and somehow beyond the scope of the work of the church. They will tell you that these problems are political and thereby inappropriate for people of faith to discuss or to confront. They will claim that they are simply playing devil's advocate as though the devil is in need of any assistance. And they will try to shape the discussion this way, to sway you from the pool of core issues into the rapids of whataboutisms, to mask their hatred, their scorn, their bigotry, under the guise of being rational or sensitive, more learned or reasonable than us. But for you and for me, for Christians, for anyone who claims to take Scripture seriously, for anyone who claims to follow Jesus, for us, these issues are simple. They're simple. We are called to love, and we are called to love in specific ways, through very specific tasks. There isn't a compromise here. We can't allow the words of Jesus to be watered down into meaningless platitudes meant to satisfy the tastes of those opposed to the gospel of love. We teach the gospel, we preach the gospel, we don't compromise the gospel. Where it is embraced, we make partners, we make disciples for the work of the gospel. Where it is rejected, we, well, we do nothing. We do nothing more. We've said what we've had to say. We've shared what we've been called to share. And if it's rejected, we're done. We can walk away. We can take our energy and our love and our hope elsewhere. We need not squander it, or worse yet, demean it, mangle it into something supposedly more suitable, but also something entirely unrecognizable. Now, we carry that message of the all-inclusive, ever-expansive power of God's love with us, and we offer it again and again and again. We've been told that it'll be opposed. We've been told that we'll be condemned for sharing it. That's no surprise, no cause for concern, no cause for further effort on our part. Where it is heard, we teach. Where it is accepted, we work. Where it is dismissed, where it is argued against or manipulated, we abandon. We shake the dust off our feet and we move on. Look, you can't argue with a bigot, but you have to answer bigotry. Sure, you answer bigotry for the sake of the bigot and the hope of repentance, but you answer bigotry so it doesn't go unanswered, so it's not left unchallenged in front of others, so it doesn't get mistaken for something you might affirm. You can't argue with a bigot, but you have to answer bigotry. And that's where this text is helpful. Say your piece and walk away. Don't get into an argument. Don't try to convince. Don't get involved in some back and forth. Don't trade Facebook comments. You'll regret it. It's a fruitless pursuit, and you'll never regain the time and energy you wasted there. You'll accomplish nothing more than giving yourself a headache or worse, working yourself into a fit and saying something ugly, 
something you'll regret. Don't argue. Don't debate. There's no debating love. Say it plainly. Say it boldly. My God has called me to love, and that doesn't look like love. Say it simply and walk away. Shake the dust from your feet. Leave it behind you and walk away. Preserve your integrity. Preserve the integrity of the gospel and walk away. My God has called me to love and to love extravagantly. And that, that's not love.